You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. I mean, who do you hate? Really? Because you got some people. You said the Patriots? You need to calm down with that, okay? You need to calm down. We have the gauntlet. Tom Brady has the gauntlet of rings. You are distracting me from where I'm going in my sermon. And I will not apologize. For, anyway. Um, nah, but, I, but, but, but I mean, really, who do you hate? Because we all hate some people, right? I mean, you, you hate some people. There are some people in your life that you hate. There are some people that you can't stand. So an example might be the person who waits till the last minute to merge on the freeway, right? And so this is the person who they see that the sign says the lane is ending, but they don't merge when they see the sign. They continue to go until the lane actually ends, and then they try and merge. Do you hate that person? If so, you hate me, because that's what I do. I wait till the end to merge, and that's what you're supposed to do. It's called the zipper method of merging. It's proven to be more efficient in merging, and that's how you should merge. But then I get to the end. I'm trying to merge over. You won't let me over, so then I pull in behind you. I'm seething. I'm mad because you are mean, and we're both stuck in traffic. You can see I got some work to do on that. It's it's like not a resolved thing. But but I wonder, who, who do you hate? Who do you hate? Maybe, maybe the person you hate is the person who takes too long at the counter to order, or they ask all these questions and have this conversation with the person behind the register, and you're like, come on, hurry up, pick what you want, or get out of line, right? Do you hate that person? If so, you hate me. That's what I do. I take way too long at the counter. I got all kinds of questions that I'm asking about. Does it come with this, or what about this, and what exactly is this? And so that's just who I am. Or, or, or maybe for you, it's a person uh, in the grocery store, and it's a parent whose kid is, like, out of control a little bit, throwing tantrums, saying they want everything, grabbing for everything, and you're like, can you just please control your kid? You hate that person? If so, you hate me, because that's my kid. And now what we're discovering is you guys hate me, and I, I did not do anything to you, okay? You got some unresolved issues that we need to sort through. So who do you hate? Who do you hate? Maybe, maybe you hate the person who says, bro. In every sentence, you know what I'm talking about? Yo, what's up, bro? Oh, it's all good, bro. Yeah, bro. And let me tell you, if you hate that person, it is not me. Because I do not say that, and you should not call people bro unless they're your actual bro. So there's all kinds of people in this life that we hate. All kinds of people that we can't stand. And, you know, I mean, some of those examples are, are, are funny or maybe throwaway examples, but, but I wonder who do you hate? Because... We do hate some people. I wonder for you if maybe it's some politicians. Maybe some people you hate are people from another country. Maybe it's your old boss or coworker. Maybe it's those bullies in school who picked on you uh, and shaped your current identity. Maybe it's a friend that you trusted and they stabbed you in the back. You, you, you thought they had your back, but they stabbed you in the back. Maybe it's an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or ex-spouse or a current boyfriend or a current girlfriend or a current spouse or whoever it is. And they said that they were going to love you forever. They promised to be with you forever, but now you're sleeping in separate beds or you're uh, split up or you're divorced. 
Maybe, maybe it was the person in your childhood who, who you were supposed to be able to trust, but they robbed you of your innocence. I wonder, who do you hate? Because we all hate some people. There are people in our lives that we hate. And listen, I get it in church. We don't like to think about it. And, and it's e easy for some of us to, to push past this because this is uncomfortable to really think through. Right? And, and, and maybe you, you disconnect from this and, and disassociate from it because you say, well, I don't really hate people. I mean, hate is such a strong word. Hate is such a strong emotion. So I don't really hate people. So maybe this sermon isn't for me. And listen, before you check out from this sermon, before you decide that you don't have to apply anything I'm going to talk about today, let me ask you, who don't you like? Who are some people who get on your nerves? Who are some people that bother you? Because you got some people you don't like. You got some people who bother you and get on your nerves. And you know that there are people that you don't like because you have this energy toward them. This is how you can tell if you have a problem with someone. You have this energy toward them, right? It's like this energy just kind of creeps up in you. And so if I were to say their name, your, your, your face would get flushed with anger. Your heart would start to race faster. You, maybe you'd sweat. Maybe you'd clench your fists, clench your teeth. You, you, your whole body would change because you're thinking about that person. You're thinking about them right now. You need to calm down. Like some of you are sitting tensely because you're thinking about that person. This energy has crept up. Or, or you're around that person, right? And, 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 you know, you're cordial and you're nice and you try everything. But they just irritate you. And they annoy you. And you're just like, ah can't even right now with you and there's this energy that you have or when you think about them your thinking is contaminated with negativity right like, like who are some people that you don't like who are some people that you you, you, you dislike you just ah. see we all have these people in our lives and it's and it's right in the middle of this dis-ease that we have with people that the scriptures speak see the problem with having this kind of energy and never really resolving it is that it can grow into resentment and bitterness and holding a grudge. It can drive a wedge between us and other people. And there are people in your life that you've burned bridges with. There are people who you've cut off, people who have cut you off. There are people you would label as enemies and then just people you just, I just don't really like. But it's right in the middle of this dis-ease that we have with people that the scriptures provide a prescription that cures us of the disease of resentment and, and bitterness and, and wrath and hate. But, but here's the deal. With this prescription that the scriptures give us, it's only effective if we live it out. This prescription will only work if we choose to do it. But here's what so many of us do. When it comes to hating people, not liking people, even though the scriptures speak to it and help us overcome it, here's what so many of us do. We say, no thanks. Like, I'm not even going to attempt to do it. We blame it on the other person. It's on them. They need to do this. What we do in these situations is we say, that's too hard. I don't think I want to do that. And so we walk away from the prescriptions the scriptures prescribe for us to find healing and wholeness. Really what we do is we black out what the scriptures give us. We're in the middle of this series right now called Blacked Out Bible. Actually, we're, we're near the end of it. Next week is going to be the last week of it. But I think today is probably the toughest teaching throughout this whole series what we've been doing throughout this series is we've said, okay, God has provided us with his word. And so what we believe is that the Bible is God's word, God's word inspired by God, written by people. And we've been asking the question, what if God gave us his word, not so we could black it out, but so we could live it out? Like, what if God gave us the teachings he gave us? What if he gave us the story he gave us? What if he gave us the message that he gave us so that we could actually live this out? 
We've been asking the question, what if God gave us this so that if we were to live out what he said, it would lead us to the life we've always longed to live? And so throughout this series, we've been looking at some of the tough teachings of the scriptures, and we said, at first glimpse, it's easy to black it out. Like, at first, yeah, we want to get rid of it, and many of us do that. See, when we don't live out what the scriptures teach, that's what we're doing. We're essentially saying, God, I'm not going to do that. Not my Bible. I'm not living that. We're making that decision. We may not come right out and say it, but that's what we do when we don't live it. And so we said, let's look at these scriptures and not black them out, but live them out. And what we'll discover is that when we live them out, it will lead us to the best life ever. And so the passage that we're going to look at today is, I think, one of the most difficult ones. And one of the things that we've done throughout this series, too, is we said, how do we help people take a step closer to God? Like, that's what we want to do every single week. In everything we do, we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to take a step closer to God. And one of the best ways for you to grow in your faith, to take a step closer to God, is to get in His Word. And so throughout this entire series, what we've done as a church is we've uh, published Bible studies on a daily basis to our social media platforms, uh, Facebook and, and Instagram. And uh, there have been a lot of people who have been tracking along with that. One person asked me, hey, how do I keep up with those? And I would just say, follow us on Facebook, follow us on, on Instagram to make sure that you're getting that in your feed on a daily basis. Um, but for, for some of you who may have missed it so far, it's not too late for you to get in on it. So next week is the last week that we're going to be posting these devotionals. But you can go back to our Facebook page, our Instagram, and you can catch up and read through all the devotionals that we've had. But the goal of this is not to get through all the devotionals. The goal of this is to get you in the Bible, to help you build a habit of reading God's Word and then facing it, the difficulty of it, and then living it out and doing it. And so we've been in that, and then this, past, this next week will be the last week that we do these Bible studies. Um, but today, the, the scripture we're going to examine, I think, is one of the most difficult teachings Jesus ever gave. It's one where uh, I could spend the rest of my career preaching on this one thing, because even though we understand it, so many of us, myself included, have so much difficulty living it out. And so here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. This is a verse where if we had a black Sharpie marker, we'd want to cross it out. Here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yeah, makes sense. Sounds about right. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy, right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So, so what's happened here is Jesus has started his public ministry and, and he's acquired a following. There's people who are, who are gathering around him and, and he gets him on the side of this mountain and he gives his first and most famous sermon ever. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. If you're struggling with reading the Bible, you're not quite sure where to start, start there. So, so start with the devotionals that we do, but you can also start with Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Go through and read the Sermon on the Mount. And what, what happens is Jesus gets to about the middle of his sermon. He has this crowd of people there. He's already taught them all kinds of difficult things. He's talked about anger and forgiveness and lusts and, and integrity and divorce. And then he comes to this zinger right here. And he stands in front of all these people and he says, okay, listen, you've all heard. It said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that makes sense. Because your enemy's wronged you, your enemy's come against you, your enemy doesn't want what's best for you. So yeah, it makes sense that you should hate them. But, but, but listen, if you're going to follow me, and you want to follow me, because I'm the author of life, 
I'm the one who knows how life should be lived. If you're going to follow me and, and I'm going to lead you to the best life you could ever live, it won't always be easy. It may be hard, but it's the best one you could ever live. If you're going to follow me, here's what I want you to do. you got to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And I know that doesn't make sense. And I know that's difficult. And I know you got all kinds of reasons and excuses and explanations about why you can't love your enemy. But listen, if you're going to follow me, you got to love your enemy. And here's why, here's why, here's why. Because your heavenly father loves the very people you hate. Your heavenly father, not only, not only does he love you. See, Christianity isn't just a, 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 a me, 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 me kind of religion. Oh, God loves me and it's just me and God. No, no, no. God loves them too. He loves them too. And so if you're going to follow God, it is your role. It is your responsibility. Hey, I'm, this is Jesus. If you're going to be his children, it's your role, it's your responsibility to love the same people your father loves. Because as you do that, you'll become more like him. And that's your goal, to become more like God. So, love them. And here's how you know God loves them. Jesus said God sends his son to shine on all people. God sends his reign on, on all people. So, so what's this mean? Well, Jesus is speaking to an agrarian society, right? These are people who are farmers, and the way that you get crops is you need the sun and, and the rain. And so sun and rain provide crops. When you have crops, uh, you can eat, you can feed your family, you can provide a living for yourself. And so when Jesus says God sends sun and rain on all people, what he's saying is God sends his blessings on everyone, on the people you love and the people you hate, on the people who love you and the people who hate you. Have you ever stopped to think that? that? That sure, you got some enemies, but you're on some other people's enemy list? Have you ever stopped to, and, and Jesus says, the thing is, God loves everyone. Every, can we just take a moment to fathom that truth? Because this is a truth I think that we often forget. I mean, this is, this is the crux of the gospel. This is the foundation of the gospel of God, the good news of God, that God loves everyone. Like, God loves everyone. Do you understand that? Do, do you get that God loves everyone? And maybe it's this, this intellectual ascent that you have, and you're like, okay, I can believe that. But I mean, do, do, do you know, do you know, do you know? God loves everyone, including you. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying here on the Sermon on the Mount. And then John, one of his disciples, he, he, he explains this in what's probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, and it's this truth that's echoed through the corridors of history ever since it was written. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. John says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world God, God so loved the world, like the world and all it. Do, do you know who's in the world? You're in the world. I'm in the world. Your uptight boss is in the world. That rude cashier is in the world. 
That black, white, Latino, Asian, Republican, Democrat, independent, alt-right, Antifa, straight, gay, bi, trans, all the other letters of the acronym, that abortion performer, the abortion protester, the woman who got an abortion, the soccer mom, the pedophile, the jaywalker, the lime scooter rider, the rich, the poor, on government assistant, illegal immigrant, natural born citizen, people named Joe, Joe Rogan, people who like Popeye's chicken, people who like Chick-fil-A chicken, people who like KFC chicken, and people for the ethical treatment of animals, including chickens, are all in the world, and God God loves them. God loves them. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. <laughs> trying to make a moment here. Let me see if I can make a moment. Can I make a moment? God so loved the world <laughs> that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That whoever includes you. And everything you've ever done, everything you've ever been through, all your garbage, all your past mistakes, all your faults, flaws, and failures, that whoever would believe in him would come to a point where they say, Jesus, I, I don't get it right all the time. I need hope. I need help. Whoever would believe in him, the person who drinks too much, the person who cusses too much, the person who doesn't always tell the truth, the person who has insecurity, the per whoever whoever would believe in him to the point where they say, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. I, I believe you rose again from the dead and I don't have it all figured out, but I know I needed a savior. I know I needed someone to forget. I, I need help. I need someone to rescue me from this. And Jesus, I believe you came to do that. I believe you died for me and you rose again from the dead, conquering hell, conquering the grave, and in some way, that gives me life. And I believe that through you, I can have life. And I believe that so much, Jesus. I want to make you the leader of my life. I want to follow you. Because I've been following me, and it's gotten me where I am, and it sucks. And I'm ready to stop blacking out your word, but to start living out your word. I want to make you the leader of my life. And I believe so much. I want to meet you in baptism. I want to be immersed under the water so that my sins will be forgiven, so that your spirit will come live inside of me. God, I am ready to make that decision. I wonder, have you ever made that decision in your life to make Jesus not only the savior of your soul, but the leader of your life? And have you been baptized into him? I'm not asking you, did you grow up in church or did you go to a Christian school or were your parents Christians or were you born a Christian because you're an American or do you really try to be a good person? I'm asking you, has there ever been a moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I believe, I want to follow you, and I'm submitting to you in baptism? If you've never made that decision, I, I want to give you a chance today to do that. We're not here 
playing games. We didn't show up for a good church service. We came so that our lives could be better. We came so that we could have hope, so that we could know joy. So if you've never made that decision, I want to invite you today to do that. As you came in, there were note cards at Arn's table back there, and there's a connect card at the bottom of that. On that connect card, it says, I want to know more about baptism. And if you got to make that decision, today's the day. The way that you let us know, hey, I'm making that decision, check that box, turn it in at, at the black tables, uh, or you can do it online. Or even if you don't have a card at all and you got to make the decision, stop by the black tables and say, hey, what he was talking about, man, I need to do that. i got some questions. I need some help. What's my next step? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, including you and including the people you hate, whoever, would believe in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Today's the day for you to decide if you've never decided to accept Christ. And maybe you hear that too, and you think, okay, well, that's great, and I get that, and I love it that God loves me, and sure, God loves everyone, but I'm not God, right? I mean, God is perfect. Of course he loves everyone. I'm not there yet, yeah, yeah, But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, love your enemy, and pray for those who persecute you. Do you know how you can move to a point where you love your enemy? You start praying for them. Have you ever prayed for your enemies? If, if so, maybe your prayer sounded a lot like David's prayer. David was uh, the, the king of Israel at, at one point, and he's praying for his enemies. And, and it's okay if your prayers for your enemies start off this way. Here's how David prayed for his enemies. He said, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. And then he said, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. And maybe you've prayed prayers like that for your enemies. It's like, what are you doing? Hey, man, I'm just doing what Jesus told me to do. He said, pray for those who persecute me. Hey, just living out the Bible. And listen, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine if your prayers start that way. But at some point, they have to morph from that so you praying for grace for your enemies and love for your enemies and hope for your enemies and blessing for your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. The only way I know how I can love my enemies is for my heart to change toward them. Because that prayer that I pray for my enemies is not that they'll be changed. Because I can't change anybody. God can, but I can't. And God may choose not to change that person. But regardless, here's what Jesus says. Go back to it, Matthew chapter 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he doesn't give a caveat. He doesn't say love your enemies if they change. Lo love your enemies as long as they do the right thing. Love your enemies as long as they say sorry. No, he says you love your enemies. So me loving my enemies is not on them. And maybe what they did to become my enemies is wrong. And, it's, and if you knew and if you understand all the ways that they hurt me, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But Jesus says, hey, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, when I start to pray blessing for my enemies, what happens is my heart has to change. My demeanor towards them has to change. The way that I view them has to change, right? But if I'm being open with you, I don't want that. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to change. I shouldn't have to change. They're the ones who wrong me. They're the ones who are jerks. They're the ones who mess me up. They are the ones who need to change, not me. 
And if I'm open with you, it feels good to not be good with them. It feels good to hold on to bitterness even though bitterness doesn't help me. It feels good at times to be resentful even though resentful doesn't help me. Because here's why. As long as I can blame them, as long as I can hold them to this standard, as long as I can make them my enemies, here's, here's how I benefit from that. I get to be the victim. And we like being the victim, don't we? As long as they're my enemies, as long as I have this thing against them, I get to stay the victim. I get to blame them for how I am. I get to continue to complain. I don't want to love my enemy because I want to blame someone else for why I have no control over my own anger and my temper because it's them. I want someone else to blame for the problems in my life. I want someone else to blame because life is unfair and I don't like the outcome and it's all their fault. See, the benefit in me having enemies is I get to be the victim and I can just blame them. And the moment I love my enemies, the moment I forgive them, I can't be a victim any longer. And I have to take ownership and responsibility for my own self and my own life. And that's what's difficult about living out what Jesus says. That's why so many of us black it out. Because I don't want to take ownership. I don't want to take responsibility. I want to be a victim. See, it requires work. And what I want to do over the next few minutes that we have together is I want to give you um, some ways that you can uh, work through loving your enemies. So, um, first, if, if I'm going to love my enemy... Um, I still got about three more points, Morgan. You're good if you want to hang out with me, though. We still got a little ways to go. It's all good. She was, she was giving me a signal like, all right, it's time to get down. Here's, here's the work that we have to actually do to live out this passage. If I'm going to love my enemies, I need to realize that if I have a problem with someone, I have the problem. If I have a problem with someone, who has the problem? I have the problem. No, no, no. See, it's them. They wronged you. They didn't know. If I have a problem with someone, I have a problem. <laughs> it's not on them to fix my problem. It's on me to fix my problem. I can't change them. I can't do anything about that. But what, who can I change? Me. How I respond and how I react in that moment to that person is up to me. They made me mad. No, they didn't. You chose to get mad. Nobody can make you do anything. Well, if they got a gun to my head, they still can't make you do anything. It's still your choice. Everything, I got to take ownership and responsibility for what I do. If I have a problem, I'm the one with the problem, and I'm the one who needs to do the work to eliminate that. Not eliminate them, eliminate that, the problem. You with me? See a story in the news this week. <laughs> Parishioner accuses pastor of teaching. Anyway, so if I have a problem, I have a problem, and I need to fix that. And again, what they did may, may be wrong, maybe whatever, but it's up to me, it's up to me, it's up to me to love them. That's my responsibility. Now, here's the thing. Love looks different in different situations. 
Okay? Love is not the same in every situation, but the outcome of love is always the same. The outcome of love is restoration and redemption. My goal in loving my enemy is to restore them and redeem them. This is what happens when we love. Martin Luther King Jr., an expert on loving his enemies, said, Love has within it a redemptive power. And there's a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies, because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you'll discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. He also said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And so if I got a problem with someone, I'm the one with the problem, and it's my responsibility to love. Because the goal of love is redemption and restoration, to make an enemy into a friend. The, the, the second thing is this. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. Um, you spot it, maybe you got it. And this is, again, work that we got to do on ourselves. But this is the idea that when I see something that I don't like in you, it may very well be because I have that same thing in me, Right? It's the coworkers who are gossiping about that one employee who's rude and disrespectful, not understanding that their gossip is rude and disrespectful. They're doing the very thing that they can't stand in someone else, but they don't see it. They spot it because they got it. You with me? It's the person uh, who doesn't like someone because they come across as cocky and arrogant. Can you believe that person? Not understanding that their response, can you believe that person is cocky and arrogant? And so they spot it. Why? Because they got it. Could it be that the reason why you don't like some of the people you don't like is because you got in you what you see in them, and you're taking out your anger, your rage, your wrath, your frustration on that thing, and they're the recipient of it, when really what you need to do is look internally and do the work on you to sort that out in you. So we got to do some work. What it means is that um, I need to love regardless. Because if I have a problem with someone, I have the problem. Second, you spot it, maybe you got it. Now this isn't always the case, but it's good too to ask the question, where do I see that in me? It's good too to ask some of your friends, what are some of the things you don't like about me that I need to change? Hey, get ready for a fun conversation there. Only do it if you're ready to do the work. Hey, I think we gotta get serious about living out what Jesus says. So if you spot it, maybe you got it. See, loving our enemies requires us to self-examine and see what we need to change in us because, again, I can't change you. I can only change me. And it's up to me if I'm going to have enemies. It's up to me if I'm going to have enemies because you may wrong me, but it doesn't mean I need to call you my enemy. You may hurt me, but it doesn't mean I need to call you my enemy. You may be somebody I don't really like or I don't really care, but it doesn't mean I need to call you my enemy. Whether or not you're in, my enemy is up to me and how I view you and what I'm willing to do to love you. So I have to take ownership. I have to self-examine. And finally, I'm gonna really love my, if I'm going to love my enemies, I have to receive experience and give grace. Here we go now. I have to receive experience, and give grace. See, the problem with blacking out this passage about loving our enemies is we have to black out another passage that's central to the gospel. 
that's central to the good news of Jesus. Because, hey, do your enemies deserve your wrath? Yeah, they do. Do they deserve your resentment? Of course they do. Do they deserve for you to not like them? Sure. But so do you. So do I. If we black out this passage about loving our enemies, we need to black out this passage found in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored, what does love do? It restores, it redeems. Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while we were still his enemies, God restored our friendship. While we were still our enemies, God chose to love us. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. You see the good news here? It's that while you and I were enemies of God, God chose to love us. God chose to redeem us. God chose to restore us. Were you deserving of his wrath? Yes. Were you deserving of his bitterness and resentment? Of course we were. Uh, but while we were still his enemies, Jesus came and died on the cross so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be called friends of God. And this is the good news. This is called grace. Grace is when I get the opposite of what I deserve. So if I'm gonna live out this command to love my enemies, I need to receive experience, and then I need to share that grace with others. This is where the hypocrisy of Christianity comes in. I cannot receive the grace of God and refuse to give the grace of God. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When, 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 when we were still his enemies, he forgave us. Well, dear friends, since God so loved us, when we didn't deserve it, when we wronged him, when we were his enemies, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If God loved us while we were his enemies, it's only right for us to receive that same grace and then pour it out to others. Because I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it. So who am I to hold out grace with someone else? Because if I'm going to receive it, I got to give it. If I'm going to receive it, I got to give it. And until I'm able to give it, I don't know what it's like to really receive it. 
I said, until I give it, I don't know what it's like to really receive it because I don't fully understand how great grace is. We receive the opposite of what we deserve. John said, nobody's ever seen God. I don't know about you. I've never seen God. I've seen pictures of Jesus, and we know they're accurate because the photographers did a great job taking those photos, but no one has ever seen God. But, but he says, do you know how you can see God? love other people. Do you want to know what God looks like? It looks like you forgiving someone. Do you want to know what God looks like? God looks like us loving people who are different from us. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look at the mirror. And when you love your enemy, when you pray for those who persecute you, that's what God looks like. Because that's what God does. And when you do that, you become more like your heavenly father. I want to ask you this morning, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to start praying for? And maybe, maybe, the, maybe just the first step you got to take is say, okay, I'm going to start praying for them. And my prayer is going to be not that they would die. That's, that's so what I want to pray for right now. But I'm just going to pray that they have an okay day. That's where I'm going to start. I don't know. Where do you need to start? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to forgive? Who during this whole time, they've been coming into your mind like all these people. Maybe you need to have a conversation with somebody this week. Say, hey, I've been holding on to this, man. I got this energy. I just got to get it out. What do you need to do as a result of today? Man, it is so easy to hear a sermon like this and say, okay, well, that's really tough and that's really convicting, but I'm going to go back to my life. Uh, I don't think Jesus gives us that option. I think he really is saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, come on, let's do it. It's time to put in some work. Who do you need to love? Who do you need to forgive? Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.